Welcome to ResearchPod. Thanks for listening and joining us today. Smoking is bad for you. To say so isn't a scientific controversy, and quitting smoking can add years back to a smoker's life. To help with that, gums, patches, and new devices are available that give quitters the addictive nicotine they may be craving without any of the rest of tobacco's harmful constituents. But what about nicotine in isolation? While it is perhaps the most notorious component of tobacco smoke, what can be said of its biological and chemical activity by itself? A recent paper by Dr. Lenny Price and Dr. Javier Martinez has dug into a century of scientific literature to find out. And joining us is Dr. Price. Dr. Price, hello. Hi. By way of introduction, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, some of your background and the position that you currently hold? My name is Lenny Price, and my original background was in veterinary science way back in the day. And my research journey has taken me through genetics, conservation genetics, eventually human genetics, and has eventually led me to a position in health science management in Japan Tobacco International. Well, it would be no surprise for the listeners out there to know that there's a big disconnect between the relationship between health and the tobacco industry. My role is to help manage and resolve the scientific issues regarding that relationship between smoking and health. So I try and bridge the gap between the latest scientific research and the business, communicating that most important information and making sure that that's communicated to the relevant business stakeholders. I suppose one of the biggest market shifts in nicotine and tobacco usage has been moving from burning tobacco to electronic nicotine delivery systems, the vaping e-cigarette boom in popularity that has been over recent years. Absolutely. It's a really fascinating time to be in this particular industry. Everyone knows that smoking is bad for your health and the new products are offering alternatives for smokers to choose from. We will come on to these later as well. There are other alternatives on the market at the moment. There's the nicotine gums and patches that have been advertised for years and reading through your paper, there was mention of something called SNUS, which is a new one on me. Could you tell me a bit about what that is and where is it popular? Who is it for? Yeah, so SNUS is a, primarily a Scandinavian product. It is a smokeless tobacco, which comes in a, either a loose form or in a pouch. And it's a small pouch that you stick into your mouth under your top lip, between, sort of between your top lip and your gum. Mm -hmm. And the nicotine is absorbed through the pouch and through the skin and enters the bloodstream orally. So from all of these alternative delivery systems for nicotine, that has led to the review that you authored with Javier Martinez? Absolutely. The key fact at the moment is, you know, previously in history, nicotine was a part of a cigarette. And when you inhaled the nicotine, you were also inhaling the myriad of other chemicals found in cigarette smoke. And now with the new products, that's not the case. So it has become really important to look at nicotine on its own and the health effects. It just completely divorced from the effects of the cigarette smoke. Uh, 2020 has been a year marked by what I would term a global respiratory concern. And that is specifically not addressed in this review. No, that's correct. We published the review before the current situation really took hold. And the research that's 
ongoing regarding that situation now is not covered. We won't be covering that. Maybe something for the future. And I can imagine it's been a very tricky thing to unpick in an academic review of what is an active ingredient where, what's being affected. If you could talk myself and the listeners at home through the scope of the review article that we're discussing today. Yeah, so we ideally wanted to stick to human studies focusing only on nicotine and nicotine delivery and the effects of nicotine. However, this was completely impossible. There were not enough papers to actually form any kind of research from that. So we had to also look in some animal studies and some cell studies as well. We limited our findings to obviously things that were published in English, uh, things that were published on PubMed. Uh, we only used one search engine and also the extensive database of papers and research that we have on file within Japan Tobacco as well. The scope of the research is actually really challenging. One of the most challenging things we found, very few uh, papers out there actually use equivalent models. So a lot of the papers that say it's a study in nicotine, once you start reading it, you actually find that it's a study in smoking and a lot of the nicotine replacement therapies are obviously used in ex-smokers. A lot of the people in trials who are using nicotine replacement therapies also continue to smoke during that trial. So it's really difficult to find studies where the effects of nicotine on its own without the confounding effects of tobacco smoke can show us reliable results. And is that going back over just recent publications or what would the oldest paper in this review be? The oldest goes back to 1930s. It was very interesting how actually the, the scope of more recent reviews and research was very limited. So we had to sort of open up as far as possible. Where there was a recent publication, we eliminated things before that. So if there was relevant stuff more recently, we didn't have to go back any further in time. And we tried to concentrate on the most recent research published. So the majority of the research is since 2012. And then all of the different types of paper that are being analysed, I've read through, and there's a different meta-analysis and trials, uh, different endpoints, five, ten-year follow-up. How did you find a way of approaching that as a, like a cohesive viewpoint of taking all of these different endpoints, these different measures, these different trial designs into one holistic view? Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly difficult. That was something that we had to really read the body of literature as thoroughly as possible and then really zoom out and take a look at everything standing back. Uh, the quality of the research is very different from each other and really just try and get a view from a distance as to any conclusions, if any, we can actually draw. When it comes to conclusions, there are some open questions that you mentioned about nicotine, about all the different confounding factors if people are still smoking or using other nicotine replacement things. And there was one recurrent theme that came up in my reading of it, of the composure of e-liquid or what is colloquially known, I believe, as vape juice. Whilst it does have fewer ingredients in picking apart what is the result of the nicotine in it or the propylene glycol or any other ingredient in there. Absolutely. And very, again, very little research, reliable research on what the effects are of those individual components and not just what the, the effect of those components are, but those components may have different effects 
whether they're inhaled or injected or ingested Mm -hmm. and this is the issue we found with a lot of the animal trials that we reviewed was that the mode of delivery isn't equivalent to someone vaping or smoking and that again can lead to different biological responses which is completely confounding and can lead to sort of red herrings really in the research. Let's move on then to what we do know about nicotine and disease. If we can single in on some of the pathways we know to be active and taking, for example, the acute toxicity for people who handle tobacco professionally. Yeah, I think the most surprising finding that we came across was the supposed lethal dose of ingested nicotine. Uh, It's really important to know ingested here because, again, if you inhale it, the levels will be different. But the suggestion is that around 60 milligrams of ingested nicotine is enough to be lethal. However, when we dug a bit further into where that information came from, we found it traced back to a Victorian scientist who actually carried out the experiments on himself. And clearly lived enough to publish them. Exactly, but it's not quite the scientific rigour that we try to hold ourselves to today. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, the value is very widely accepted. Finding out something more accurate is going to be very difficult because you're then having to really change a fundamental known, in inverted commas, But I think what is clear is that from case studies, we can see that people do survive after ingesting a lot higher than that, but also experience really, really awful effects at much lower concentrations than that. And obviously for children, that's particularly dangerous. It has neurological effects. That's kind of its purpose. It's why people use it is for the neurological effects it has. So I'm guessing a lot of the toxicity is associated with brains and nerves. It's a a stimulatory drug. Mm-hmm. and it binds to something called the acetylcholine receptors in the body. So actually, most of the effects that you see are cardiovascular. So there'll be shortness of breath, breathlessness, increased heart rate, sweating, headaches, nausea, vomiting, a whole raft of really, really awful things. And that's at the very high end, the acute dosages finding the not just the lethal threshold but the maximum tolerable threshold i guess is still varying person by person case by case and delivery system by delivery system absolutely and if you've never been exposed to nicotine in your life and you suddenly have nicotine even at a really low level you can experience some of these and a lot of people smoking for the very first time will do the good thing is that the half-life of nicotine, how fast it's metabolized and exits from the body is quite quick. So within a couple of hours, these effects have passed. Looking at things by disease area, what kind of conclusions did you find about nicotine toxicity and long-lasting effects? So with cardiovascular disease, it was probably the area of research that we had the most amount of published material available. And we could stick exclusively to the human studies in this area because plenty of studies have been done. I think what it's really safe to say is that there are acute effects of nicotine consumption on the cardiovascular system. So you smoke a cigarette and your heart rate will increase, your blood pressure will increase, various sort of immediate effects can be seen. Mm -hmm. 
But as I said previously, these pass very quickly. And actually what we don't see are long-term cardiovascular effects in people who consume nicotine. So this is in people who use nicotine patches, gums. We're starting to see the research coming through from vaping products. And we don't see any evidence for long-term changes in cardiovascular health as a result of nicotine use. Smoking, different story. Obviously, lots of cardiovascular effects, but nicotine on its own, not the case. There were certain complications about people switching from tobacco, but also underlying complications. Uh, Parkinson's specifically came up as a complicating factor. Yes, there, there are many. I mean, if you have underlying heart conditions and you're using nicotine and you have a heart attack, how much of that is down to the nicotine use and how much of that is down to the underlying condition? And especially when you're carrying out a trial in people who have smoked for 20 years and then they've quit and they're using a nicotine replacement therapy, are the effects that you see going to be down to the nicotine or are they going to be down to the 20 years of smoking history? And that's very difficult to to tease apart. Uh, Parkinson's is a really interesting one. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the symptoms of Parkinson's is sudden, really acute drops in blood pressure. And there's been a small trial using nicotine gum in Parkinson's patients, which have found that you can really effectively recover blood pressure in Parkinson's patients using nicotine gum. But this is a really, really small trial. So lots more research is going to be needed if that's going to be rolled out more widely for Parkinson's patients. Looking at the circulatory system outside of the heart, blood flow and blood pressure, uh, are there any whole body findings, any whole body associations with disease or underlying conditions that might be affecting that? Uh, very little. There's very little long-term evidence, especially in humans. So I don't think there are any human trials suggesting that there are. Some of the animal studies that we have seen is, is very conflicting. Inflammatory response to nicotine has been demonstrated, but also anti-inflammatory response to nicotine has been demonstrated in different systems. So this is the thing we have to be very careful about. If you jump on the nicotine as an anti-inflammatory drug, you could be causing inflammation in another system. So it's really important for these trials to occur in humans over longer periods of time so that we can actually definitively say one way or the other, but at the moment the research is just not there to be able to support that. Another disease often associated with smoking and various nicotine delivery systems would be cancer and carcinogenesis. Did you have any overall findings from this review of any risks associated with nicotine specifically? So yes, this is one of the reasons we looked at carcinogenesis as the topic, because clearly there is a risk of cancer in smokers and all sorts of different cancers. Cancer is a big word and it covers a lot of diseases. So yes, we looked at nicotine specifically and its role or lack of role in carcinogenesis. And that's the key point is that there is actually no evidence to suggest that nicotine is a complete carcinogen. Mm -hmm. And what we mean by a complete carcinogen is a substance which can change a cell from a normal cell into a cancer cell then lead to progression and growth of that cancer. And then also the third step is for that cancer to travel, what we call metastasize around the body. So if it started in the lungs to move to the liver, for instance. Nicotine on its own does not do that. It's not a complete carcinogen. 
there's quite a lot of research which underlies that and the Surgeon General says the same thing in the report. Plenty of other health bodies also support that data. What we don't know is that there could be a potential role for nicotine in metastasis of cancer, but there are no human trials to support this at the moment. The molecular mechanisms have been explored and there is potential there, but nothing in humans at all. Population level studies that fell under the carcinogenesis title in your report included a very large Swedish study that had some follow-up looking at pancreatic cancer. Uh, yeah, this is correct. So the previous large study was the Nilsson study, and they did find this association between pancreatic cancer and snus use in Swedish men. But they didn't have any data on alcohol use and diabetes. And obviously these are huge confounding issues when you're looking at the pancreas. So a big drawback to that study. And so later, Aragi and colleagues pooled several studies together to get as many participants' data as possible. They also covered a much more recent time span, which is important because Swedish snus actually changed. Snus is made of tobacco and tobacco is cured before it is made into the different products. And the curing method for Swedish snus changed to reduce the number of carcinogenic substances within the tobacco. So the tobacco itself is obviously not just pure nicotine, there's lots of other substances in there as well, two of which are called NNN and another one called NNK are particularly related to cancers. Because snus is made of tobacco, these substances are also in snus. Mm -hmm. So the curing method in Swedish snus was changed to reduce the amount of NNN and NNK in the product. So it could be that the Nilsson paper looked at a, an earlier time span of snus use. This could have been with the higher levels of NNN and NNK, and they could have found pancreatic cancer in relation to those substances rather than the nicotine. Mm -hmm. Then Aragi came along and looked at a later time period and actually those more carcinogenic substances in the snus are much lower levels and that association with pancreatic cancer has gone. This is just one possibility. There's several other possibilities with other confounding issues, but you know that is also a problem with analysing this data is that products change and the time spans also play a role. And there was some studies in your review of DNA damage mediated by nicotine as well. Yes, yeah, so these were in cell studies. So we have to be really careful when we're looking at cell studies. If you tip lots of substances on cells in a lab, chances are they're not going to like it. Uh, that doesn't mean that when you do the same thing in a human body, the same reaction is going to happen. But it is a really good starting point, a really good introduction to seeing the possibilities of effects that you might want to investigate further in a human model. Cells go through cycles when they replicate. And during the replication, there are checkpoints where the cell can say, yes, everything is going okay, we'll carry on and divide. Or no, something's wrong, we'll stop and maybe get rid of this cell, start again. 
what we saw through the research published by Japanese scientists called Nishioka and colleagues found that one of these checkpoints seemed to be overridden in their models in lung epithelial cells. So this is a way in which a cell who shouldn't divide could potentially divide. But again, this is a cell model and in real life, we don't know what would happen. Were there any individualised links to nicotine and metastasis? I was hoping to lead to the Shimizu et al. paper about head and neck carcinoma. Yes. The paper really proposes a mechanism in head and neck cell carcinoma uh, cells and very high doses of nicotine as well, probably much higher than you would find in a person smoking a cigarette or using a vaping device or using a nicotine patch. And so it offers a way in which it could happen, but doesn't tell us anything more than that, really. The next disease area in the review was fertility, and something that leapt out at me was the susceptibility of male gametes over the female reproductive system throughout. Yeah, this is, this is a really interesting thing. It really comes down to the differences in biology between the genders. And male reproduction is based around spermatogenesis. And this happens almost on a conveyor belt basis. It's always, there's always cells at every stage of development, one following the next. Whereas in females, obviously, this is not the case and all the germ cells are present at birth and then they're sort of dormant in the ovary for a really long time and then they ripen and are ovulated every month. So really fundamental differences between how the germ cells mature. And this is why the male reproductive cells seem to be more susceptible to the effects of nicotine than female ones is that they're exposed at every single point of their journey from beginning to end. Whereas the female cells seem to be a little bit more protected from that because they're already at a certain point before any exposure can sort of take place. Much like you just mentioned with the cell cycle, if there is just a lot of cycling of cells, then yeah, I can see how the chances are something would come up. Exactly, exactly. Having said this, other than knowing that the cells are exposed to metabolites of nicotine and nicotine. We don't actually know what that means in terms of fertility and whether there is a drop in birth rate or rates of pregnancy or successful fertilization as a result of nicotine consumption. We have no idea. Absolutely none. There was an association for snus use with stillbirth risk, papers by Wilkstrom et al. and England et al., which I suppose would affect anyone who is pregnant and trying to use nicotine replacement services that maybe not use snus. Again, this might come back to what you mentioned about the changing formulation. If there is a cleaner, safer formula available now, that might change things, but patches or gum or an electronic cigarette might be the best case for them. I'm not a doctor. This is not medical advice. This is the opinion of the FDA and various other health bodies is that smoking is terrible during pregnancy. There are lots of risks, very well documented, uh, low birth weights, all sorts of complications. <laughs> and nicotine, it looks like there is an effect of nicotine on developing fetuses, developing embryos. But the use of gums, patches, anything that will help someone quit during pregnancy are going to be much more preferable to smoking. 
and women should be supported as much as they can to do so. So on the balance of things, there is still very much a medical need for offering nicotine replacement therapies such as gums and patches and the like. Absolutely. I mean, we looked across the carcinogenic effects, cardiovascular effects and the reproductive effects. And in terms of carcinogenesis, very little evidence to support nicotine has a role there. In terms of cardiovascular effects, long term cardiovascular effects, no effect that we can see there in people who don't have underlying cardiovascular disease. And in terms of reproductive effects, this is where we potentially can see an issue with nicotine in the developing fetus. So therefore, any sort of access to nicotine or use of nicotine during pregnancy should really be highly discouraged where possible. I think what is clear is that there's still a long way to go in terms of research. Lots needs to come out of the animal models and be taken into human research. More long-term human studies would be great. Pelosa and colleagues recently published a paper of the cardiovascular effects of vaping in participants who had never smoked. So this was extremely helpful because that smoking history and all the confounding was taken away. And we could look at just the effects of the nicotine, just the effect of vaping. That was a tiny study and we need more like that longer term so that we can really understand the effects of nicotine long term. Because at the moment, so much of the research is still focused on smoking and it's not reflecting the market and the products people are using today. <laughs>